0: Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, the podcast where we cook up a delicious blend of cybersecurity, privacy, and data protection topics to serve you a hearty bowl of insights. Whether you like your gumbo spicy with a dash of encryption or prefer a milder flavor with a side of compliance, we've got you covered. So grab a spoon, sit back, and let's dive into the pot of Data Protection Gumbo. All right, welcome to another episode of Data Protection Gumbo. I'm your host, demetrius bro, and we have a fantastic episode lined up for you today i have the pleasure of speaking with Errol weiss and he is the chief security officer at health ISAC. and um, he cracked a joke earlier with me that he is going to uh maybe make us laugh about the name, and and we have to spell this out at least one time. So, uh, Errol, welcome to the Gumbo. How are you?
1: Hey, Demetrius, hey, great, and thanks so much for having me here.
0: Awesome, and just some information about Errol. He is, of course, the the Chief Security Officer with over 25 years of experience in information security, starting his career out with the National Security Agency. Uh, conducting a super fun thing called pen testing <laughs> of, of classified networks. So he—he he, um, is not just a, a talking head. He—he he has some technical chops uh, behind his name. Uh, he also created and ran Citigroup's cyber intelligence center, and also was a senior VP and executive with Bank of America's global information. Security team, So lots of great experience, and I'm looking forward to a great conversation right now with, with Arrow, and I'm super, super glad that we got you on the show. So first off, what is health, ISAC, and also tell us a little bit about your role in your own words.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Great. And again, great to be here. Super excited. So, um, yeah, so the joke about ISAC is that it's uh, probably the world's worst acronym. So um, so what is it? It's, uh, it stands for Information Sharing and Analysis Center. And, um, and really the history with the ISACs is, you know, this goes back to the mid 1990s when the uh, US federal government did a uh, study and found that much of the uh, critical infrastructure was owned and operated by the private sector. And again, if you flash back to those times in the mid 1990s, Hey, the internet's starting to be a thing. At-home banking is starting to be a thing at that at that point, and I think you know the government realizing the super interconnectedness of all of the uh, critical infrastructure, new vulnerabilities that were starting to pop up at the time, and, and again just um, uh, started to be co- proactive in this area about protecting all of that critical infrastructure. So the idea about the ISACs was to essentially incentivize the private sector to to uh, be proactive and do something about it when it came to protecting all of those networks. And so, essentially, the you know the ISACs in the early days, the idea was to create these private sector organizations that were all about information sharing, using uh, information that each of the members had in order to better protect the entire critical infrastructure. And I can I can dumb it down to basically. It's it's like a virtual neighborhood watch program. Ah. see something, say something. Okay, yeah. So so really, I mean, the, the whole idea is like if hey, if you are seeing an attack happening, or if you're seeing something happening, you share that with everybody else, and and all the other organizations can use that information to better protect their own networks. That's really what it's what it's about.
0: Okay, awesome, great, great history and um, information on on ISAC. I, I appreciate that. And I'm I'm just curious because you, you have the chief security officer title and they've added an information in there. So chief information security officer, CISOs and some people say CISO. What well, what does a typical day look like? What what's a day in the life for, for a chief security officer? And and I would think that I mean, you probably would be running around with your your hair on fire, but uh, maybe yeah, both of us have a little there, huh? <laughs> you know, right? And uh, that it's just it's just a super stressful, tough, challenging job, and you know, and I read all the stats around, you know, ransomware and a breach happens every thirty seconds, and and it's it's just it's it's a crazy job. But maybe paint a picture for us on what, what does a day in their life look and maybe some advice to other uh, chief security officers out there on how they can, you know, have a better day.
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, I'll tell you a little bit, uh, you know, about the job in general. So, so chief security officer, most of the time, and I want to get into what I do here in a minute, but you know, CSOs are basically, um, if you have that title, it, it means that probably that you're in charge of physical security and information security. Um, or it could be one or the other, but a lot of times it's really both. So um, and again, depending on the size of the organization, you may have an information security lead and a physical security lead reporting into that CSO. But ultimately, all of the security issues of the organization roll up to that singular individual. And um, you know, I think that uh, when, when you look at the, the day job here for me, yeah, you know, I've got the job title, but I will I will be very honest and say that I, I don't have the day day-to-day uh, security responsibilities of our organization. Um, it really I really represent Health ISAC externally to our members. I work with our member organizations and work with them on the concerns that that you just mentioned. I mean, again, you you talked a little bit about my background in the beginning, so. A lot of what I learned in terms of helping to protect the banks uh, back in the day when I worked for places like Citibank and Bank of America, I had a lot of exposure to the chief information security officer in those organizations and worked very closely with that person and the others on that team to help protect those organizations. So I have a good perspective on sort of the the different areas inside information security, for example, that um, you need to pay attention to. um, you know, for me in the day job that I have today, a lot of what I do it, with respect to the ISAC operations has to do with you know how we enable our member organizations to share information with each other. So I mentioned that virtual neighborhood watch, right? So how do they do that? So all of the systems that we do that with today, but then we also do a lot of proactive work in terms of like collecting threat intelligence Publishing that and sharing that with our members. So everything from like very tactical daily items that are that are happening the last 24 hours worth the news or maybe the latest vulnerability that's happened and making sure that our members understand what that is to um, to more strategic, more long term items like, you know, hey, if I was a CISO, what should I be worried about this year? You know, what are the major priorities? So, you know, so there's a lot of the role. And again, because of the perspective that I have coming from all of that background that you mentioned, we can do a better job for our members in terms of what we
0: offer. You know, what what is it that CISOs should be paying attention to right now and maybe something that's really Really new that that came out that you could maybe give them some some advice on or maybe some information on.
1: Yeah, so I'll tell you in general, and then and then I can dive into like, hey, what's burning right now? But you know, the long term big ones are going to be things like ransomware, which you mentioned. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that. You know, phishing is still a problem, and it will be for a while. And then and then uh, third party. Uh, incidents, partner breaches are definitely um, a huge worry for CISOs, right? Because you know, again, when you look at any organization, there is no doubt that they are heavily leveraged um, with an external third party who's probably providing some critical services, or maybe they're even getting data from that company and doing something with that data for them in return. Um, or if you know, you think about cloud services, all of that. Um, Again, so all of these third party breaches could have enormous impact on the company if that third party partner was breached and plenty of that is happening today. Uh, data breaches in general, and and then social engineering, maybe even as part of the the phishing uh, problem as well. But the, you know those tend to be like the long term issues that we're still worried about. But ransomware is still a thing. The big vulnerabilities that we saw over the summer were things like MoveIt, which was the uh, managed file transfer problem, right? We had um, I would say probably like 10% of our members um, had were uh, at least impacted by that. So when at least that vulnerability came out, they had to do something, you know, pretty quick about that in order to make sure that they weren't vulnerable to it. And then the other big ones that have been
0: so. What do you mean? You mean like patching or patch, patch, okay, patch, got patch, it.
1: Right, and 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 I think a lot of times, like with so many of these things, it, you know, the vulnerability will come out. It creates a lot of buzz in the industry amongst the security professionals, and and I think a lot of organizations uh, are first wondering. Um, Gee, do we have that? Is that in our environment? You know, that's kind of the first question, right, that everybody's got to quickly figure out. Find it, isolate it, make sure that there's a game plan to, to update it, you know, quickly. And I think, honestly, I think it caught a lot of organizations by surprise. I know that there's been a lot of blowback on that, on the movement example uh, in particular, because it caught so many organizations by surprise. And then another popular one um, were all these like Citrix, uh, NetScaler gateway problems that happened. Right, that was another big one. I think about probably about a quarter of our members um, were also impacted by, uh, by that problem as well. And again, same same kind of thing. You know, do they need to update to patch? Uh, they need to go back and look and see. Did, do they have a problem because they were breached? You know, as a result of that vulnerability. So there, there were things that had to quickly happen in order to make sure that they. You know warned breach and that they were patching as soon as possible
0: we keep hearing the same old stories every day breach right ransomware attack this person or this company paid you know several million dollars in in ransom or fines or whatever but i mean how how long can this go on right and how difficult and challenging is it to patch a system <laughs> and I don't want to be shot for for saying this because it's not it's not easy to patch a thousand systems and manage a thousand systems and work with work across a team of you know maybe fifteen twenty thirty forty plus individuals and you have competing priorities et cetera um just with within the organization. As well, but I I keep hearing the same things: preparation, being prepared, having backups, and education. I mean, how how long do you think we're going to be beating this drum and saying the same thing over and over and over again until people really (laughs) start to get it?
1: Well, I definitely, I definitely want to go into the backup um, issue, but uh, first, one thing I want to say, and you know, the reasons why you're going to get shot um, are, you know, the complexities that you talk about, you know, having so many systems that need to be passed. I mean, the one thing that blew my mind when I was working in the banking sector was that that, that one of the thousand servers that you just mentioned, oh, by the way, Demetrius, there's a thousand apps, uh, different apps running okay. on that server.
0: Got me. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah.
1: Think about that, right? All of those app managers, right, if you're gonna come back and talk about, hey, I gotta upgrade the server. I'm like, wait a minute, uh, that blows me out of the water, yeah so you can imagine how much heat like some of these organizations are feeling when they're dealing with you know some of those complexities but you know hey so some on the ransomware and the backup thing you know i was thinking through this and and what i kind of came up with was like you know really thinking through this in terms of like um you know 10 years ago when the ransomware thing first started um you know the bad guys were attacking individuals like you and me right they'd slip in something in the, in the home pc and And uh, hit my home system with ransomware, and boom! I lost all the family pictures, and I'm probably crying. But you know, they were looking at us to try to extort uh, maybe a couple hundred bucks, maybe five hundred dollars, maybe a thousand. But that was about it, right? But then, then it worked, right? People were paying the ransomware, and I think when they suddenly realized, hey, wow, we got a business model here. We can make this work. So you know it's your point earlier, right? Then they start going after commercial customers, realizing they can jack up that ransomware amount, right? And yeah, today we're hearing about these multi-million dollar payments. It's crazy. So you know I'm thinking, what what are we, we going to do to break the cycle? And how do we do that? You know the government intervention, it's not going to work. I'm sorry, you know I'm a cynic. I could be a little bit pessimistic about what the government's trying to do. Banning ransomware payments isn't going to stop ransomware payments from happening. You know, this is my, my, my two cents. So what do we do? I think we have to make the ransomware, the data that these guys are taking, we have to make it worthless if it's stolen or destroyed. So what does that mean? We got to encrypt it and we got to back it up. So so the, so on disaster recovery, right, it's an essential element of any modern program. And and I think that, that you know, again, back, back to that 10 year ago thing, we were so concerned um, about protecting that hard crunchy outside right of the networks you always know, use that that analogy and the soft chewy inside um, realizing that the inside wasn't as well protected but now you know there is no perimeter anymore there's holes all over the place it's not that clean neat I've got one firewall so so in the same vein the the information security strategy has changed from that I'm protecting everything to now it's it's the realization that I know I'm going to get broken into. It's going to happen. So, so now it's speed to detection and speed to recovery is is are the two basic elements of every modern day information security program. So, um, so on top of that, you know, it's funny. I, as we were talking about doing this um, this podcast, I went back and I listened to um, one of your earlier ones, number. I have it in my notes here, two oh four, and. It was all it, one of the points in that uh, podcast episode was about ensuring your backups are safe. So, you know, the whole idea about reliable backups, proven processes, you're testing your backups, you're testing those procedures, you know, and and, and that's the major shift that, that that I'm trying to preach here, and turn you know to 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 your listeners and anybody else that I talk to about you know how do I be, how do I not become a ransomware victim? It's encrypting and backing up the data so that if it is lost or stolen you can tell the bad guys go have a nice day because you can't do anything with that data and i'm going to be up and running here in no time because i've done my homework and i'm doing everything to stay safe
0: yeah and and, and encryption is good as long as you don't have the keys on the same system I, i i keep i keep hearing right cases where yeah the data was encrypted but the keys were like right there on that same system and they weren't somewhere else yeah. and it's like ah it's like having your key to your house right. hanging on your front door yeah. right there yeah. next to it and it's like good, real
1: good point
0: okay i don't know who designed this system but um we, we we're going to go with it <laughs> and <laughs> you know it's it's not a laughing matter but it's just okay you know here here we are once again and there's a lot of information out there. I keep hearing, uh, training and education. And, and as you know, th- there's still a shortage of cybersecurity expertise that's out there right now. And do, do you have any recommendations, I guess, for maybe an organization out there and they are maybe struggling to find good talent, um, just to kind of keep their environments, you know, safe and, and, and to keep all the teams working together keep that cybersecurity team working with the the application teams and the devops teams and you know just really kind of finding that talent Do you, you have any any recommendations around that or maybe any input
1: Yeah definitely you know I'm def- I'm certainly hearing from a lot of my colleagues and and peers that they're we're all struggling with that same problem so I think people are starting to look at the talent pool much differently and everything from like the typical job posting that that requires a, a college degree or prior experience. They're all really they're, they're eliminating those requirements in a lot of cases now as well, re- realizing that you don't necessarily have to do that. And that I think organizations are willing to tr- you know um, train people uh, uh primarily from maybe from within the organization, from different jobs that, that, that they may be in today. Maybe they have nothing to do with information security or nothing to do with IT, and they're willing to take a chance on somebody because they've got the basic uh, skills, um, experiences, and let's say the intellectual curiosity to, to learn and, and, and further their professional career so they're willing to do things like that. So I think that's a big one. And then the other thing that uh, that, in fact, we even started doing here at Health ISAC was um, partnering with a local university and just um, providing an avenue for um, the students that are still in school for uh, for an intern experience. Um, um, in fact, we're, we're talking to we're, we're going to have uh, probably a, a junior, um, a rising junior this uh, this fall. And have that person work for us uh, as much as they can during the semester, on breaks over the summer, and, uh, and then carry them through until through until they graduate, literally two years from now. So,
0: and, and do they have to be local? Do they have to be local?
1: No, um, not a requirement. The, uh, we're partnering with a, with a local university, so okay. so I'm assuming that that at least during the school year they'll be able to spend time with our team. Okay, um, got but, it. But you know, if they if they live or if they live mm-hmm, a few mm-hmm. hundred miles away for example they can certainly work remotely during those other times
0: awesome i look i i take my hat off to uh, you and and also the organization as well I, anytime i hear a, a major company or even an, an organization partnering with them with the university uh kind of putting the the, the money and the positions where where the mouth is and and actually doing something about it instead of just showing some numbers and percentages to say oh we have this percentage of women or this percentage of minorities or there was this or that but tangible things like yes we have an intern internship program and we're bringing on you know a couple people one person you know that's life changing so I, I i appreciate health isaac for for doing that and we really love to hear more uh, organizations step up to to do that yeah,
1: it's it's really it is rewarding. I appreciate that. I mean, I, we've got a young woman that's working for us now, who's a recent grad, and she's with us. Um, she's going to be uh, working for um, the uh, U.S. intelligence agencies uh, after she leaves us. So it's a really neat uh, next step for her. We're really really thrilled with her pro- her uh, pro- progress.
0: Okay, great. And m- maybe time for one more question. I-, I always have to ask the other hot topic. Cybersecurity is hot, but one that's probably hotter is artificial intelligence, right? AI, ML, and e- even some people still don't know what chat GPT is. And I, I, I really feel sorry for, for the people who don't know what chat GPT is because you, you're going to get left behind if you're not really following what AI is doing and open AI and chat GPT and large language models, um, et cetera, because that's kind of where we are. What do you think AI is is, is headed just from an overall cybersecurity perspective, I know the bad guys that they're, they're already playing with it the same way the good guys are, and it's just a battle of who's quicker, faster, etc. What, what's what's your take on that?
1: Yeah, this is really uh, an exciting area, and, I, and it's incredible how quick. You know, to your point, it's incredible how quickly it's it's been it's evolved. You know, I'm looking at the calendar here, it, just this year, 2023, uh, and and I and I have to put my health um, sector hat on here first and just say. You know, just from the technology standpoint, it's really exciting and and looking at the innovation that we're hearing about. It's just amazing. I mean, everything from like better imaging results, uh, x-rays and and breast exams, um, improved diagnostics, earlier detection of cancer and serious diseases and things of that sort. the one that I think is really cool is like improved patient engagement. So thinking about how AI can be used to improve the patient experience and getting them more involved in their own care. And ultimately, um, studies have shown that that improves the patient's uh, results. So it's really neat. But of course, to your point, there's some, some really, you know, just bad security issues that are, that are coming up here as well. So, you know, we've been tracking this and we're looking at, uh, probably four major areas in the security uh, risks that we want to make sure we're on top of. You know, the one thing is the, the, the first is the loss of data. So, um, you know, so where's your data going? Who's ending up with it um, and who would potentially have access to it? So all you have to do is just Google uh, Samsung and chat GPT and you can see that, uh, that they had some data exposed as a result of this. Um, The second one is trust and integrity. So can you trust the results that are coming back from from the AI, from ChatGPT, for example? Um, Who's responsible for its accuracy, things of that sort? Uh, Number three is the adversarial use. So to your point, the bad guys are out there already, and it's simple things like they're using AI, ChatGPT, large language models to, to create much better phishing emails. So not only is it... Crafted in English and has perfect grammar, but think about it—they can expand to any other language, any other country in the world now, using and leveraging the AI now to create a well-crafted email that could be sent, let's say, in, Ar- in Arabic to someone. And then, of course, we've we've got things like voice cloning and deepfakes and all of that kind of stuff that that again, the AI can take advantage of as well and and really create a an incredible. Unfortunate scam using all of that information, and then the last one is is just the overall protection of intellectual property, and um, you know who has the right to use what's generated by the AI and how is it protected. And so there's a bunch of lawsuits happening right now. Um, all you have to do, again, another one that you can look up is uh, Sarah Silverman suing the um, ChatGPT OpenAI OpenAI forum over the the theft of her intellectual property a book that was used um, you know this has been yeah scanned into the chat gpt and now you know who knows where that's going to end up as well but you know another another major issue so you know there's a lot of great things that can happen from it but as security professionals we're constantly looking at this the flip side here
0: okay yeah and i see a lot of a lot of, uh, CISOs and, uh, SVPs, et cetera, just, you know, belong to the, the organization as a uh, membership. It, the, did you want to maybe give you an opportunity to give a shout out like membership and sponsorship and just anything that you would like to, to leave for the gumbo listeners to know about, uh, health ISAC.
1: Yeah, no, thanks. Really, really appreciate that. Um, you know, again, uh, Organization, uh, organizations in the health sector can join, you know, take advantage of the, uh, you know, information sharing, best practices that I talked about earlier. Um, there's there's over 9,000 um, security professionals that belong to Health ISAC, and the amount of sharing and, and collaboration and, and learning that's happening every day inside this environment is just just amazing. So, um, you know, again, there's an opportunity to join and, you know, we're global. So, um, so really any organization that fits that criteria is welcome to join. I can certainly uh, give you the link to find out more information and, uh, you know, appreciate that, uh, that plug.
0: No, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I want to take my hat off to you and I I appreciate you, uh, taking time out of your day, not once, but maybe a couple of times I was having some, some computer issues and, I had a backup, but uh, <laughs> sometimes you can have a backup, but you still need like solid infrastructure to recover it too. And I I just didn't have that solid infrastructure to recover to, but I, I do now. Uh, so we're, we're always learning, right? I am we're all so good you. to go. And yeah, always learning, always growing, right? And, and learning the hard lessons as well. But thank you again for being on Data Protection Gumbo. And before I let you go, I just want to put a shout out for the Backup and Recovery Professionals group on LinkedIn. Uh, that is a group that, that I run, and there are over 25,000 professionals, cybersecurity, storage, backup, recovery. Uh, on that group, having you know great peer-to-peer conversations as well. So please check that group out, and I appreciate all of the listeners out there and make sure you, you subscribe and also leave a, uh, a review for the podcast. So, Errol, uh, thanks again for, for being a guest on the show. And uh, everyone out there, stay secure and, and back up often.